0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. Uh, This episode is going to be about Canadian whiskey, Japanese whiskey, and then just uh, a couple other small things about whiskey uh, to kind of wrap up this topic of the categories of whiskeys and uh, where they come from, etc. So before we get started, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode that was just me, so two episodes ago, whenever it's just me, I'm going to start giving a few notes and kind of a quick review of a whiskey uh, that will be from the email list. That way you can try to guess it if you're listening at home. Uh, If you've drank it with us, then it'll probably be a little bit easier for you, but if you didn't and you listen to the episode, then you'll still probably be able to figure it out, um, hopefully, that way it's a little bit more interactive and a little bit more fun. I decided, though, I'm going to change the rules a little bit from uh, what I said in the last episode where I did this, because I think one month is definitely not enough, so I'm actually going to be going two months back on the whiskey list, so this will be anything from the month of May or the month of June. That way I have kind of a few more whiskeys to choose from, but it's still not like so many whiskeys that you know, you're know you confused and you're not sure what it is, so it still nerves it down a bit for you. So today's whiskey, I'm going to take a quick drink of and give you guys just a super quick rundown of what it tastes like. If I didn't mention it before, I'm also probably not going to do this in a three-part review because you already heard a three-part review of it, so this is going to be what it tastes like. This one might be easier to guess. Hopefully it's still a little bit challenging, but I think a lot of people are going to get it. Uh, this one is extremely sweet. Uh, very, very much smooth. Um, and I would say it has a lot of a general sweetness, uh, not really a nuttiness, but more of maybe like a honey, uh, a little bit more of a butter to it. And then throughout the palate and the finish, uh, you get a lot more, the, the the butteriness and the smoothness kind of fades away and you get a little bit more of a fruitiness. Uh, and that's where I'm at on this right now. I'm going to take another sip later and I'll keep you updated. But for now, let's get into the types of whiskey. Now, We've already discussed all American whiskey, which includes bourbon. Uh, We've discussed scotch, and we've discussed Irish whiskey at length. So if you are wondering about any of those whiskeys, go listen to those episodes. They are already posted. Uh, But there are a couple more types that I want to run through, and they're not quite as popular. They don't have quite quite as extensive of rules to them, so I didn't want to spend too much time on them individually. I'm just going to kind of run through the rest all altogether. Uh, so today we're going to go over Canadian whiskey, Japanese whiskey, and then also I'm going to have a little bit of a blurb about flavored whiskey, uh, which doesn't have a region, obviously. It's just whiskey that's flavored but I don't want to give off the impression that like any of these whiskeys are lesser than bourbon, scotch, and Irish, or that you shouldn't try them because I'm grouping them together in an episode. Uh, they honestly just have less rules surrounding them, and I think I can talk about them a little bit quicker without some of the fun facts that the Irish and the scotch and the bourbon all had. Uh, these are a little bit more straightforward, uh, but there will be some fun facts at the end that relate to all whiskey. That way, it's still a little bit interesting. So I'm going to start with Canadian whiskey. Uh, and something that I didn't even know until recently is that it's often just called rye. And it's decreasingly being called that because of the inaccuracy of it. Distillers in Canada actually started adding rye to the mash bill you know, over the past hundreds of years. And it was a mostly wheat mash bill at the time, and it gave it a pretty strong rye flavor and people tasted it and they started requesting the rye whiskey. Uh, and so eventually a lot of Canadian whiskey just started being considered rye. And then eventually that wheat got replaced with corn where it's mostly corn, similar to bourbon. Um, and it still gets called rye whiskey a lot. You'll, you'll hear a lot of people call it that. And I think that's pretty neat because there's actually not a minimum of rye like there is in American whiskey. You might recall for an American rye whiskey, you need 51% of the mash bill to be rye. So I think that's kind of cool that uh, it still gets called that, even though it's totally different than American rye whiskey, or at least can be totally different uh, from American rye whiskey. And as I mentioned, the rye, or the mash bill rather is mostly corn. Uh, so that wheat got replaced by corn and so now you've got a mash bill that's kind of similar to bourbon, uh, and I emphasis on like kinda, <laughs> uh, you can have a huge amount of variety with Canadian whiskey cause we're about to go through the rules and there's a lot of room for variety. So there doesn't need to be any specific mash bill for Canadian whiskey other than it has to use cereals. So like I mentioned, a lot of times it's going to have corn in it, rye in it, wheat, barley, all your cereals. Uh, so it's going to be similar-ish to bourbon, but it is its own thing because you can have any ratio of all of those things that you want to have for to get the flavor that you want to have. Once again, a minimum 40% alcohol by volume. I can't say it enough. That's most whiskeys it's got to be 40% alcohol by volume. Uh, it has to be aged at least three years minimum in Canada and aged in barrels that are 700 liters or less. So that might sound familiar because scotch and irish whiskey have extremely similar rules to them bourbon does not have the age minimum but you'll you'll recognize that that's that's kind of a similar setup to scotch and irish whiskey uh, you can use any kind of barrel uh, once again for everything except bourbon basically you can use whatever kind of barrel you want new used it can be in a used bourbon barrel it can be used wine barrels give it all sorts of different flavors and variety And you can add water and caramel coloring. Uh, So once again, all of those rules should sound pretty familiar. Uh, They should sound just like scotch and Irish whiskey. The difference being there aren't mash bill requirements and there's not pot still, column still requirements. It's just free to roam, basically. So you can kind of do whatever you want and that gives you a lot of free reign. A few popular brands that you're probably going to recognize, well, at least the first one, is Crown Royal. Uh, if you're from anywhere near where I'm from, a lot of people drink Crown Royal, and there are a lot of people who Crown Royal is like their Jack Daniels. I mean, it is, it's is—it's what they drink. Crown Royal is extremely popular. Uh, you may have also heard of Forty Creek. You may have heard of Canadian Club, and you may have heard of Pendleton. Uh, you've definitely seen them in your liquor store if you've looked in the Canadian whiskey section. But a couple of unique things that I want to point out about Canadian whiskey before we move on uh, is the 9.09 rule. Now, this is this is kind of a hit online if you look up Canadian whiskey rules. Uh, there's a lot of debate about it because it's kind of a controversial thing for some people. The rule is that you can have up to 9.09% of flavoring in Canadian whiskey, as including other whiskeys and spirits, by the way, uh, so long as it is aged in wood for two years. So what that means is you can take a different whiskey, like an American whiskey, and you can put up to 9% of it in your Canadian whiskey and age it in a barrel for two years minimum, and then you can sell it as a Canadian whiskey. You do the same thing with flavoring. So that's a pretty controversial rule because some people think you shouldn't be able to do that. Uh, Some people, and I would agree with this statement, think that it just provides way more room to create new complex flavors. I think it's pretty cool. So that's a pretty unique rule to Canadian whiskey. And then another thing that is kind of unique to Canadian whiskey is that typically it's blended and it's blended with a base whiskey, which they make very strong, very high proof. And then it's blended with a flavoring whiskey, which is a bit weaker and a bit lower proof and provides more of the flavoring. I thought that was pretty cool uh, to read because I haven't heard about anybody specifically doing that with any of the other categories. So it's another thing that's kind of unique to Canadian whiskey. Now, before moving on to Japanese whiskey, I'm going to take another sip of this whiskey that I'm drinking right now. Once again, a lot of smooth sweetness in this whiskey. Not a lot of your harsher sweetnesses, and I mean like a harsh spice or um, a sour fruit or anything like that not even really a citrus well maybe a, maybe a touch of citrus um but mostly i would say your buttery creamy notes and then some uh, kind of fruitiness Hopefully that's not too easy to guess what it is. Uh, Hopefully I'm still throwing you guys for a little bit of a loop. Now moving on to Japanese whiskey, uh, there are actually new rules in effect as of April 2021. Uh, So previously it was very open to interpretation. Uh, Basically the whiskey needed to be in Japan for some period of time and you could basically sell it as Japanese whiskey. The rules were super duper loose. So they actually solidified them a bit more, which a lot of people were happy about. So it's a, Pretty similar process to scotch for uh, most Japanese whiskeys. You, can, you have to use malted grains, but you can also use other cereals as well. And once again, 40% alcohol by volume. Can't say that one enough. Uh, you have to make and distill the mash at a Japanese distillery. It has to be aged for a minimum of three years in wooden casks in Japan. And you can add water and caramel coloring. So you're seeing a lot of parallels to scotch uh, with the way Japanese whiskey is made some common brands that you might have heard of include uh, Suntory, Harazaki, and Nika. If I destroyed any of those names, I apologize. Uh, but it's similar to Scotch names, where I just feel like I'm terrible at uh, at pronouncing them properly. A couple of unique things, though, from Japanese whiskey. The first is that you have to use water from Japan. I think the exact wording is water extracted from Japan, uh, which is pretty interesting and neat. I don't recall reading about that on any other whiskey or ever hearing anybody talk about it. If it is one of the rules for the other whiskeys, it's certainly not advertised as much as it was for Japanese whiskey. The other thing, which is totally a thing of its own, is that there's also rice whiskey in Japan, which has a totally different process for making it. Now, rice is technically a cereal, uh, but there's a lot of confusion about whether or not the new rules for whiskey apply to rice whiskey or not. Uh, one of the biggest distinguishing factors is that it uses a mold called koji, Um, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right as well, but it's a type of mold, uh, mold meaning the fungus, uh, to do the same thing as malting. So the process that malting does, uh, they use a mold to do that. Uh, now I'm going to talk in a minute about what malting even is, since we haven't actually gone over that yet. But just to wrap this up, I think that's kind of cool that there's a totally different whiskey in Japan. I've never had rice whiskey. I read that it's actually a similar process to making sake, uh, which I have had. I have had sake, so I, I would be totally interested to try that. But once again, they don't really. There's a little bit of confusion about whether the rules apply to this this type of whiskey or not. Now. What is malting? I mentioned I was gonna to get to this. Let's talk about it because I haven't talked about it yet. And it is kind of important to the process. It's not really important that you know how it works, but if I've mentioned it enough, then you're probably like, well then what even what is what do you mean malted barley versus unmalted barley? So let's talk about that in order to ferment, which fermenting is what's going to make it into alcohol. So fermenting is that stage that you've probably heard of. If you've ever looked into like moonshine or seen the show moonshiners, you've probably heard of it somewhere or beer making is another pretty common hobby where you have to ferment it in order to make it into alcohol. And it's that uh, step where it's going to be sitting in a vessel. If you're making like beer at home, it's usually in a bucket that's food grade. And it's going to bubble. And those bubbles are are the reaction happening that is fermentation. So fermentation is converting all the sugar in it to alcohol. Not necessarily all the sugar of it, I should say. But converting sugars within it, within that mixture, that mash into alcohol. Now you need the sugar in order to ferment the sugar, obviously. Well, the cereals contain sugar, but it's in the form of starch. It's not actually in its sugar form, to put it in layman's terms. So malting is the process that's going to turn that starch into sugar so that you can then ferment it. So the cereals uh, for the malting process are put into a warm and damp environment. And what you're basically doing is tricking the grain into wanting to grow and sprout. Uh, but before it's able to actually grow, I think they, it actually does sprout just a little bit, maybe not even on like a super visible level. Uh, but once it just gets to that part where it's sprouting, it will. they'll stop the process and dry it out. And then you'll have that sugar from that process You'll have the sugar and then you can ferment that sugar. One thing I wanted to make sure I mention with this is that this is where peat whiskey comes into play. So when you say a whiskey is peated, you're talking about this process right when they go to dry the barley for a peated scotch. They're drying it by burning peat underneath it. Peat is like, you can actually see it on my Instagram from back during the scotch episode. Uh, it's I think it's technically like a moss. It's like this packed in vegetation that's all compressed in, in mud bogs. And they would take it, they'd burn it, and they still do this. Uh, under the barley and then it creates that flavor. And this is before you even ferment it. So you're putting that flavor in it beforehand and it's sticking with it super strong. If you've ever had a peated scotch, super strong, all the way to the end. So that's actually where peating comes in. So if you heard me talking about that in the past episodes, and you weren't really sure what was going on, uh, that is what was going on. There actually used to be a bunch of different ways to uh, do the malting process. Um, But uh, essentially, the idea is you want it warm and damp, you want these, they're basically seeds, right, these cereals, and you want them to try to grow, and then you stop it just so that enough of that starch is converted into sugar that you can then ferment it. So now you know a little bit more about that process and you can go annoy your friends with it just like I do I'm taking another sip of this whiskey and I just had a piece of audio insulation fall down behind me so that was cool it scared me it kind of fell like right on my head so I'm drinking this it's by the way it's the foam insulation so it's like not heavy when I say it fell on my head uh it just like I was like what was that you know scared me uh anyhow though the whiskey that I'm drinking uh I am trying to purposefully avoid some of the notes that I'm pretty sure I said in the episode about it. I don't know for sure which ones I said, uh, but I'm just going to make it pretty obvious because I'm about to tell you what it is anyways. It has a buttery cookie, pretty much granola flavor to it, but it changes while it's in your mouth to more of a fruitiness, uh, and then it fades out really slowly. I mean, you taste it for a long time. So if you've been keeping score and listening to all the review episodes, then by now you know I'm drinking Red Breast 12, uh, which is one of my favorite whiskeys, uh, especially in its price range. It is absolutely delicious. I've said it before, I'll say it again, it was recommended to me online on a forum, and I absolutely love it, so go get yourself a bottle if you don't have a bottle already. Uh, Near me, it's in the $65 range, but I very much enjoy it, and I was just talking about how awesome Irish whiskey is, and that is a great Irish whiskey. If you are into the slightly higher price range, that is an excellent, excellent Irish whiskey to understand what I mean when I say it can be easy to drink, but still extremely complex. Yeah, that's the definition of what I'm talking about right there. I mean, it is. you can just sit and sip on it, and it doesn't bother you. It doesn't weigh down your palate. But at the same point, you can sit here all day and dissect it and talk about all the different notes and the depth that it has. It's absolutely fantastic. So I I definitely think if you're curious what I meant in that Irish whiskey episode about easy to drink but still complex – Go get yourself a bottle and find out for yourself. Now, a few final notes on this episode to wrap it up. There are other countries that produce whiskeys, but they typically are not common or talked about nearly as much as your American slash bourbon, your Scotch. You're Irish, you're Canadian, or you're Japanese. There are definitely other countries that do it, and I don't want to discourage anybody from trying them. They probably aren't going to make it to the email list as of right now, mainly because I don't really see them at any liquor store near me. But I don't don't want anybody trying to stray away from them because they can absolutely be delicious. So don't be afraid to just try all sorts of new things. And with that, once again, Canadian whiskey and Japanese whiskey I mentioned they're really quick rules. You saw how quickly I was able to go through the rules for them. So that's why they got a combined episode. But don't be afraid to try them. There are some excellent versions of them out there. Uh, they absolutely are kind of up and coming, especially Japanese. They're kind of up and coming. Um, but Canadian's have been around for a while, and there's a lot of people who absolutely love it. So don't knock it till you try it. Uh, uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is flavored whiskey. Now, flavored whiskey does not have any specific country associated with it. But it's usually considered separately from unflavored whiskey, and I want to point that out because it's kind of similar to cigars, where you usually have people who will smoke unflavored cigars or drink unflavored whiskey, and sometimes those people, uh, not myself, but sometimes those people will be a bit judgmental towards people who drink flavored whiskey. Now, I personally do drink flavored whiskey as well and smoke flavored cigars as well because I think they're awesome and they have their place for uh, drinking, but... Usually, when you're talking about like the palate of a whiskey and the finish of a whiskey, you're not talking about a flavored whiskey, and so I wanted to make clear that if you have a whiskey that is flavored, uh, and you'll you'll know if it's flavored. When I say, "Oh, this whiskey tastes like cinnamon," it's not because it's Fireball. <laughs> Fireball is whiskey that has been flavored like cinnamon, whereas uh, a cinnamon that or a whiskey that Man, I'm getting a little bit tongue-tied. A whiskey that might taste like cinnamon does not mean it is flavored with cinnamon like that Heaven's Door. It was not a flavored bourbon, but it tasted like cooking spices and things. But you'll notice it's totally different. It has a a more complex palate typically. I'm not knocking flavored whiskey at all. I have multiple drinks that I love to make with flavored whiskey or some flavored whiskeys that I do just drink on ice. I've mentioned uh, Wild Turkey American Honey Sting. I absolutely love to just drink that on ice. As always, if I haven't said it enough times, I'm going to just beat this dead horse because it's so important. Don't knock it until you try it with any whiskey, region, flavored or unflavored, single malt or blended, uh, any anything, any category. Do not knock it until you try it. and Even if you try it once and don't like it, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't like that category, especially when it comes to regions. Because you've probably caught on that most of these regions have a ton of variety to them. Do not knock it until you try it. Make sure you're trying all these different types of whiskey so long as you can afford it and not necessarily at the same time. Uh, But if you need an excuse for your wife or your husband uh, to not nag you about buying whiskeys, just say, well, I needed to get one from every region. The dude on the podcast said that I'm not going to get the full experience if I don't. And you can blame me because I'm totally okay with that as long as I never meet your significant others so they don't slap me in the face. Uh, But I highly recommend you try all the regions. That's the best way that you're going to figure out what type of whiskeys you like in general. And you can narrow it down and then get into the ones that you really, really like. Maybe you find out oh, this red breast is pretty good. So then you try a different Irish, you try green spot, and you're like, no, this is the Irish palette that I like. That's the best way to figure it out. So definitely don't knock it until you try it. But that's all that I have for today to round out all of the types of whiskey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, make sure to help spread the word by introducing friends, coworkers, or anyone that you think would be interested. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming platform, rate the show, review the show, and follow on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs to stay up to date. If you want, you can join the email list by sending an email to podcast at gmail.com. You'll then be updated every month on what whiskeys I'll be drinking on the show so you can drink right along with me and review it as we go. Thanks again for listening to the the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. Learn to drink, drink to learn. The Whiskey Noobs Podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.